This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. When I first started being a pastor years ago, I, I, I came to this strange realization. I would go out to mow the lawn and, and that just mind-numbingly walking over the, you know, around the lawn for an hour, that's when I would do some of my best sermon prep. So literally, I'd be out there just walking. And all of a sudden, these ideas would start sparking in my head. I'd be like, oh, I got to, because usually it's on a Saturday, and I got to preach on Sunday. So I'm out there Saturday. I'm like, oh, I need to say that. Oh, I need to say that. And then I'd get in from, you know, mowing the lawn, and I'd be quick writing notes of everything that came. It's weird, you know. Sometimes it's weird, because sometimes the, you know, the, the important stuff in our lives happens in times when we don't expect it, right? It's like, you don't expect it to happen, and all of a sudden, bam, you know, something really important happens. And, you know, we've been going through this series called Redeemed, and uh, we're, this is the third week, and the last two weeks, Sam's been talking about, uh, she talked about Bathsheba for a while, for a, first Sunday, and then last week, he talked about Joseph. And I was thinking about that, and it's like, that's one of the common things about those stories, is that this radical transformation, this, this redemption moment happened when neither of them expected it. It was kind of one of those moments where like life is going on and all of a sudden something transformational happens. And I think there's some commonality to that. I think there's, I think there's a lot to that, that, that the transformation moments in our lives sometimes happen when we're not looking for them. And, and honestly, sometimes in the midst of really crappy situations in our lives, you know. But this morning, we're going to look at a guy, uh, a guy called Zacchaeus and, uh, and, uh, and see what we, we can see about the redemption process in his life. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get right into it. So God, thank you for this time we have this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to just take a, a moment to uh, just rest in your presence and to focus on you and allow you to speak into our lives. God, I pray this morning that you truly will speak into our lives, that, that your word and the words that you've given me will, will, um, will transform us just a little bit more into the image of your son Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Zacchaeus. Strange name, I know. Zacchaeus. But if you grew up in church, uh, you heard this name a lot, right? Because kids' church loves Zacchaeus. Uh, he, he's just like a, a real popular story for, for, um, uh, for, for people like Carmen and all that. But Zacchaeus, we find his story only in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is a, is, a, is, a, is a book in the Bible. It's a third book in, from, in the New Testament. And um, Luke, uh, oddly enough, was written by a guy named, named Luke. <laughs> um, but Luke, it's funny because um, I was looking the other day and there's this, there was something on, I think it was Relevant Magazine or something, posted something about, based on your Enneagram type, what Bible character are you? And I know I was talking to Kayla once and I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a five with a four wing. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> Which she's right. But uh, I was reading this article and they're like, well, if you're an Enneagram five, um, then you're Luke. 
And I'm like, well, yeah, that's probably about right because Luke's, Luke's my man. I really like Luke. Luke, Luke was, a, um, was a doctor. Luke was a physician, and, um, and uh, he was a, a friend of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and they were traveling buddies. And, and Luke, being kind of a sciencey, kind of thoughtful kind of guy, at some point in his life, he decided to go do research, which any of you know me, like I am the biggest research geek in the world. So Luke went and did research, and he interviewed all the people that knew Jesus at the time, he, you know, and he got all this information, and then he, all, he wrote it all down. For, uh, for someone. And then he also went and wrote a book called Acts, um, which is later in the Bible. It's about the er- story of the early church. So he's a researcher. He's a, he's a history geek. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that one of Luke's particular focuses, you know, each gospel has its own color, has its own kind of flavor to it. Luke's gospel very much focuses on the difference between the rich and the poor. And, and, and Luke spends a lot of time uh, telling stories about the evils of rich people. It's honestly, it's true. He tells, he tells these stories about the, the, the rich man and Lazarus, and he tells the story about the rich young ruler, and he tells, he tells all these stories about how hard it is for the rich people uh, and how bad they treat the poor and all this sort of stuff. He was kind of the first social justice warrior. Um, but, but that is the story. He goes out of his way in his gospel, um, to highlight the times where Jesus talked about um, the rich and, and, and the problem of wealth and all that. Um, so that's kind of the background of our story of Zacchaeus. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles or your phone, your app, it's in Luke chapter 19. We'll start right at the first verse, and then we're going to go through chunk by chunk as we go. So the story starts off like this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho... And was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, all of you who grew up in Sunday school can sing the song right now, right? You know what I'm talking about? Go ahead. This is why Kids Church loves the story of Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus says he's a short guy. And of course, children can, get, can understand what it's like to be short. I, I personally don't know what it's like to be short. I'm married to a short person, so I have some appreciation for being short. And she calls herself short. Don't get that. Don't, it's, not, it's not like she doesn't know. <laughs> but I remember we... Uh, I'm going to date myself again here. When we went to, uh, when the Red Wings won their first Stanley Cup in, the, in 97, um, yeah, shut up. Who's <laughs> giggling over there? Um, uh, we, Lori and I and, and Becca, our daughter, was at the time, she was like three and a half years old. And so we, we went and decided to go down for the parade. And, and of course, you know, the, that parade was just nuts. I mean, it was just insanity. And we were packed in somewhere, and of course, you know, Becca's like that. So she spent the whole parade on my shoulders, of course, which, you know, by the time it was over, I'm like, oh, please, you know. Um, but it's one of those things. Kids understand what it's like to be short. And so when we, te- when we talk about this story to kids, we focus on the fact that, oh, he was a short guy, but he really wanted to see Jesus, so he climbed up a tree, and kids are like, yeah, I climb trees all the time. This is great. But as adults, we need to kind of take a step back and read between the lines a little bit more because there's more to it than just the fact that Zacchaeus was a short man. 
There's a lot more to it because there in the story, it says that he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now, this is the only place in the Bible where it talks about someone who is a chief tax collector. And we know that Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, was a tax collector. But it says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here, background, because, like I said, I'm a research geek. Um, but Roman taxes were, were nuts. Romans taxed everything. When they would take over a country, when they would, you know, whatever, whoever was part of the empire, they would tax all kinds of stuff. So they would tax all trade. If you owned land, they would tax your land. Um, if you were unmarried and an adult, you had to pay a tax. You had, if you were married, you were, it's like the river. If you were married, you were exempt from the tax. But if you were unmarried, they would tax you. Um, there was a sales tax. There was a religious tax. So if you weren't um, a follower of the Roman religion, you would be taxed because you had the wrong religion. Uh, and there was, a, there was all, just all kinds of tax, uh, all kinds of taxes. And this, this Roman tax system was, was just hated, which I guess we understand because people always hate taxes. Um, but the Roman tax system was just so oppressive um, that some scholars think it was actually the cause of the fall of the Roman Empire, that there were so many taxes that the people finally said, we're done with this, we, you know, uh, which, which happens all the time. I mean, that's what, you know, the American Revolution was, you know, we don't like our taxes. We're going to go kill people. Um, but anyway, I'm going to get on. <laughs> um, but anyway, and it said the story takes place in the town of Jericho. So Jericho is this town on the, on the, um, on the eastern side of, of the Palestinian region. And it was right on the major trade route from the east, from the far east, to Jerusalem and then through Jerusalem down to Egypt and all that. So all the major trade that came from the east came through Jericho. So Jericho was a very wealthy town. It was a great place to be if you were a tax collector. And like I said, Zacchaeus, it says, was a chief tax collector. So here's how it would work. The Romans didn't want to actually have an IRS. They had no such thing as the IRS. So what they would do is they would go into a region and say... All right, we need a chief tax collector. And they would auction it off. So they would come into a region and say, okay, how much taxes do you think you can collect from this region? Make a bid. And whoever bid the highest would be the chief tax collector for that region. And then the chief tax collector would then hire his underling tax collectors, and they would go out into that region and start knocking on doors and sitting on the side of the road saying, pay up. So basically, here's what it is. Zacchaeus is a mob boss. He's running a collections racket. He's Don Corleone sitting out there going, go out and get the taxes and collect it and bring it into... He... He's, he's just the godfather. That's what he is. And worse than that, he's an enemy collaborator. Okay? Think about it this way. If, um, if an American in the, in, the, in the time of the Revolutionary War was actually in Boston working for the British collecting the tea tax, I mean, he'd be like the worst guy in the world, right? Everybody would hate this guy. So not only is he a tax collector, but he's collaborating with the enemy. He is like the worst of the worst. 
And beyond that, of course, it says he's wealthy. So Zacchaeus is exactly the kind of guy that Luke would say he's the enemy. He's the bad guy. He's the evil one. This wee little man was a big bad man. And yet that's not where the story goes. Let's read on. So Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 5, says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was... Oh, my app didn't work. There we go. Come on. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to, the, to be the guest of a sinner. So Jesus is just kind of walking through. It's like, it's like because he's a celebrity now at this point. This is, this is uh, later in, you know, t- towards the third year of Jesus' ministry. Everybody knows who he is, and people hear that he's coming to town. He's like, Jesus is coming to town. Jesus, he's, he's, he's passing through. Everybody come down, come look. And so Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree and Jesus looks up at him and says, hey, I'm going to stay at your house. Come on down. We're going to go to your house. We're going to have dinner. The enemy of everybody, the worst guy in town, the people that, the guy that everybody hates, the guy that everybody despises is the guy that says, Jesus says, yeah, I'll stay with you. Let's have dinner. How crazy is that? All the people in town are freaking out. Like, are you kidding? Come to my house. <laughs> I'm a better guy than he. He's a, tax, he's a chief tax collector. He's the, he's the worst guy in the world. Why would you go to his house? But that's who Jesus picked. So Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with you. Let's, let's have dinner. Let's have a meal together. This is actually one of the other themes of Luke's gospel. Is Jesus and food. It's true. There are 10 different meals recorded in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus sat down and had, a, had dinner with somebody. 10 different times in the Gospel of Luke, Luke says, oh, Jesus sat down and had dinner with this person, or Jesus sat down and had, and it was usually the wrong people. He was usually having dinner with prostitutes and thieves and, and all the people, all the wrong people Jesus was having dinner with. And there's actually seven other times in the Gospel of Luke where it talks about, uh, where either Jesus tells a parable about food or something. Jesus is always talking about food. In fact, one scholar said Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. But the advantage is, is Jesus had to walk everywhere he went. So he stayed nice and trim, unlike me. Um, but it's true. Jesus talked a lot about food. And he did a lot of interacting with people at meal, at mealtime. <clears throat> in fact, so much <clears throat> that his enemies accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunk. He spent so much time eating and drinking with the wrong people that his enemies said, oh, he's just, he's a, he's a, he's a fat guy. He's, he's eating too much and he's drinking too much. He's, he's spending too much time with the wrong kind of people. Because the Jews of the time had really strict rules about who they could eat and drink with. Because having a meal with somebody, especially at that time, indicated that you accepted that person. Indicated that that person was okay with you. And of course the Jews had a lot of people in their religion that it was like, 
no, those people aren't okay. So we can't have a meal with them. We can't sit down and eat with those people. They're not okay. So Jesus is breaking all these rules. And, of course, Jesus was always breaking rules. But he's breaking all these rules about who to eat with and who to drink with and who to, who to express, express acceptance and love to. He's changing all the rules. And, you know, it's funny because we joke around about a lot. If you've been in church long enough, you know that we joke around about eating. Like churches, that's all we do is we get together and we eat, right? It's like you come to Sunday morning, do you come here for, the, for me or did you come here for the donuts? Honestly, honestly, I think Seth had some sort of, what was it, cinnamon toast crunch covered bagel or something, right? How was it, Seth? It was great, yeah. It looked really good. But seriously, we joke about it, but honestly, it's probably one of the most Christ-like things we do in church is we eat. It's true, because Jesus was constantly sitting down and eating with people. And look what happened. We'll skip ahead to Luke, and we'll start in chapter 8, or uh, I'm sorry, verse 8 of chapter 19 now. It says this. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up, And said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation uh, has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost." Now, this is the shocking part of the story. You know, we read this story and we read it with our own modern eyes. But in Jesus' day, I mean, think about it. This is the Godfather. This is Don Corleone saying, I'm going to take half of everything I have and give it to the poor. And anybody that I've cheated, I'm going to pay him back four times what I cheated him. Whoa. Are you kidding me? This is the story of redemption. This is a story of transformation unlike anything we've ever seen. This is, a, this is the worst of the worst criminal enemy collaborator, evil man who cheats and steals for a living saying, I'm done with all that. I'm giving it all back. I'm giving it all back. What an amazing transformation. What an amazing moment. And I want us to notice how this moment happened. Jesus sat down to have a meal with this guy. Just sat down to eat with him, spend some time with him, and show him that he wasn't rejected, that he wasn't unloved, that he wasn't unworthy. Jesus sat down and just said, I want to spend time with you because you matter. Despite all that you've done, despite all the things that people say about you, despite what everybody else thinks about you, you matter to me. Look at this. We we don't see Jesus preaching some big sermon here, right? Doesn't say Jesus preached a sermon at him. Doesn't Doesn't say anything about Jesus listing off the Ten Commandments with a sign, you know, with a bullhorn, you know, saying, you're a nerdy, rotten sinner and you need forgiveness, It doesn't say that. It doesn't say Jesus walked up to him and said, do you know where you will spend eternity tonight if you die? No. All it says is Jesus sat down and ate with him. Just spent time with him and showed him love 
and acceptance and forgiveness and grace. And the villain of the story, the person most likely to be the villain of the story, because this is the Gospel of Luke, after all. He's all about criticizing the wealthy, and yet the villain of the story turns around, it's the hero. The big turnaround of this story. The villain becomes the hero. It's amazing. And how does it happen? Through the power of just sitting down and sharing a meal together. Just sitting down for a meal. There is power in just sitting down and eating with someone. I don't know what it is. I, I can't explain it. But there's a power. And you, you've probably all experienced it where you sit down for over, a, over a pan of pizza. Hopefully it's not a hot and ready, but, you know, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. But <laughs> or whatever it is, a, a, you know, a big plate of a pasta or whatever it is, you sit down with people and you spend two or three hours just laughing and, and, and having a good time and just sharing your lives together. It's transformational. It can truly change your perspective, right? I mean, seriously, am I, am I the only one? It's something to just sit down with people that care about you and just having a meal together. And this was something that's not, it's not unique to Jesus. The early church did the same thing. In Acts chapter 2, another one of Luke's books, we read this. In Acts chapter 2, verse, 40, verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together. This is talking about the early church. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Luke was so focused on this, and he said, listen, one of the main things the early church did was they got together and they ate together all the time. He says, that's what the church did. Yeah, they went to temple, and guess what? They also spent every night at their houses together eating and drinking and spending time together. Why? Because there's something transformational about just sitting down together and having a meal together. So much so that there's a church in a, in a city called Corinth. Corinth is a city in, in, uh, in Asia Minor, and, and, and uh, there was a church there, and the church, the church was, like all churches, it had its good points and its bad points. And there were things that it was really good at, and there were things it needed a little correction about. And uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, you've heard of him, he wrote a letter to this church once and tried to encourage them to keep doing the good things that they were doing, but also to correct some of the wrong things that he were doing. And in, in, in the, his first letter that he wrote to this church in Corinth, in chapter 11, he says this. He says, so when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do, do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So meals, having meals together and people just getting together and really sharing love with one another over, over shared food was so important that Paul decided, I got to write to this church and I got to fix this. Because the rich people are going off and having their own dinner and, and other people are, are, are going hungry and this, is just, this isn't right. This isn't the way the church should work. It's so important to Paul that he says, listen, stop it. Cut it out. You guys, 
your church. You should be spending time together, eating together. Now, I don't think... Uh, I don't think our church has a big problem with eating together. We love to eat at this church, right? Am I right? (laughs) But seriously, sharing our lives over a plate of food, there's something transformational about it. There's something unique about it. I will be honest with you. You know, I grew up in church. I've spent, I've heard more sermons than I can count uh, from some of the best preachers that, that, that have preached. I've heard thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons. I went, to, I went to a Christian college and I took all those Bible classes and I went to pastor school and I took all the classes. You know what? I don't remember next to anything I learned in those classes in college. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I learned stuff, but I don't remember anything specific. I don't remember it being like earth-shatteringly transformational. But you know, I had a buddy who I used to meet once a week at Shields Pizza over there. And we would get together every lunch. And I, I had a job where, fortunately, I could kind of run my own hours a little bit. And we would literally spend like two hours over a plate of Shields Pizza just talking about things. At the time, when we started doing it, we were both, going, we were bo- both of our churches were going through like crisis situations and church splits and all that nonsense. And so it's like this was our time to really talk about Jesus and talk about God. I will tell you that my life was transformed more by those lunches over a plate of Shields pizza probably than it was going to Bible school. Because there's something about close friends, relationships, when you're sitting there over food and you're being honest and real about your life and about what you think about God and you're sharing and you're, 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 you're just speaking into each other's lives, there's something transformational about that. I had another friend who I used to, I used to meet for, um, it used to be a place over in Farmington Hills called Roosevelt's. It was great. It was a pool hall. And we used to go there for lunch. We used to shoot pool and eat, eat burgers every lunchtime. Same thing. I remember more about those conversations than I do any class I took in college. Why? Because there's something transformational There's something about having a meal together that creates an intimacy where you open up and you talk about stuff. Say, is this really a sermon about food? Yeah, kind of it is. It kind of is. There's something special about it. And even in my life, you know, at this point in my life, I have probably preached close to a thousand sermons. I don't know. I haven't counted them all up, but it's probably close to a thousand sermons in my life I've preached. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think most people remember one of them. Yeah, it's just the nature of sermons. I mean, honestly, how many of you remember specific details? I I shouldn't say this. How many of you remember what Sam said last week? (laughs) Don't raise your hands. Don't. (laughs) But the honest truth is, is that this is not how, I mean, this is, there's something to this. Um, I'm not saying that sermons aren't important. But the honest truth is, is the best thing I can do with a sermon in my mind it's not that you'll remember what I say, but that I'll trigger some really good conversation that you're going to have at lunch this afternoon. And that conversation is what you're going to remember. That conversation is probably what's going to transform you more than what you're listening to right now. That's just the nature of human beings. That's just the way it works. 
and then the band's going to come up and, and, and we're going to worship a little bit more uh, to close our service. But, but I want to encourage you, having meals together is not just, oh, I'm hungry, I need to eat. Shared meals are transformational. They change us and they change the people we're with. I honestly think I've had more impact on people's lives having a conversation over a plate of food or a, an adult beverage than I have ever had just simply preaching a sermon. Because there's something about sitting down together and having a meal together and really sharing your life with someone else. There's something transformational about it. But before I close, I want to challenge you with one other thing. Because Zacchaeus was transformed, was redeemed, because Jesus chose to sit down and have a meal with the wrong person. With the person everybody else hated. The worst person in town the least likely person for him to have a, a meal with, that's who Jesus sat down with. And because of that, that most unlikely of people was redeemed, was transformed into something better, into something amazing, something that was generous, someone who was generous and loving rather than selfish. And the thing is, is especially these days, we love to congratulate ourselves about sometimes about being, you know, loving the unloved, you know. I love what we do with AWOL. I love we, that we reach out to, to people that are, that are, that are ca caught in sex trafficking and walking the streets. I love that. I love that we, we you know, we, we love people who are unloved. We, we reach out to people who are, who are poor and who are, who are oppressed. But what about the rich people? What about the powerful people? Guess what? They need God too. They're just as loved as anyone else. We love to focus on, on loving the people who everybody else is hating on. Like we look out at society and say, oh, everybody else is hating those people. We'll love those people. What about hating the people that you, what about loving the people that you hate? What about loving the people that you don't like? What about loving the, the, the Wall Street banker, the CEO of your company who doesn't give you raises? Hello? What about loving that politician that you hate so much? I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. Don't, don't, don't think that I'm like got this all figured out. I don't. Jesus, earlier in Luke, uh, he, Luke records a, a teaching of Jesus when Jesus says, listen, when you have a meal, when you have a dinner, don't invite your friends and your family. Because then you're just, you're just having fun. He says, he says, invite people that are unexpected. Invite the unlikely people. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have dinner with your friends, and I'm not saying you shouldn't go out to lunch this afternoon with the people that you love. That's important too. 
But folks, the love that Jesus has shown us and the redemption that we've experienced is supposed to be for everybody. Not just the people that everybody else dislikes, but even for the people that you dislike. That's what redemption is about. So I'm going to challenge you this morning to think about the importance of sharing meals with each other. The importance of what those conversations over a, a, a pan of pizza or a, or a slider can do, not just for you, but for them. And I also want to challenge you to think about what opportunities you might have to have one of those transformational meals with somebody that you'd rather not have a transformational meal with. God, I thank you for this time we've had together. I thank you that you have shown... Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.